Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. Pull out your Crosswalk notes, open up your Bibles. We encourage everyone, everyone to bring a Bible at Crosswalk. I have my old school one. If you have a phone app that's a Bible, open that up. We're going to be mainly in the book of Luke chapter 22, but we'll be skipping around a little bit because I want to introduce you to some passages also in the book of 1 Corinthians. If you know anything about Crosswalk, if you've been here for a while, you know that we are very intentionally an outward-focused church. You go out in the hallway, take a look at the banners right in the middle, you'll see the the letter O in the crosswalk acronym, outreach-minded. That's, that's something that we are passionate about. And you see it lived out. You see trunk or treat. You see 100 volunteers going to the Levine barbecue. You see us helping with school uniforms in the, in the summer. I could go on and on. I'm not going to. But you know if you've been here for a while, we are intentionally outward-focused. And you also know, if you've heard me preach for a little while, that one of my most favorite words is the word, and. Thank you. One person knows my favorite word. (laughs) Okay, got it. And we are an intensely inward-focused church. We constantly encourage you, as you just heard Katie do, take another step. Grow in your faith. And that's all to fulfill what, what, what we hear. Paul wrote, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is God's will for us to keep taking next steps and to, to keep growing. Sometimes we talk about what's the one number that really measures whether or not we're hitting our mission statement. And even though you're just now learning one of my favorite words is and, let's say the crosswalk mission statement all together. Let's recite it. Crosswalk, all right, you probably won't get that. Crosswalk is committed to teaching the Bible's words and promises so that the Holy Spirit will transform people into, some of you know this, fully developed followers of Jesus Christ. You know that's in our mission statement. You know that we want you to deepen in your relationship to your Lord and your Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I was thinking about this on Monday. I was flying out because I'm on a board of regents for a college back in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And I was flying out. I was at the airport. And I like to do a little bit of work as I'm waiting to board the plane. I was at gate D8. I sat down at one of those southwest desks where you can type on your computer and plug in for a little while. They're very narrow. And the reason you need to know this is that there was a young lady seated right across from me, and she was only about three feet away from me. And when I sat down, I noticed by the tone of her voice, she was speaking on the phone that she was quite agitated. I couldn't help but overhear the conversation that she was having with the gentleman she called her uncle. She was talking about how she was stuck at Sky Harbor Airport, that she had flown in but needed to get a connecting flight and something had gone wrong with her reservation and the only thing that the reservation agent at Southwest could tell her is, you need to buy another ticket. She was with a small child. Apparently she hadn't known what to do so 
she called her uncle, asking him if he could somehow help her out. And I overheard her say, Uncle, you've always had my back, and I so appreciate that. But as I continued to listen to the conversation, you could tell that it wasn't all going smoothly, that the uncle was pushing back a little bit. At one point, I heard the uncle say, because she put it on speakerphone for a little while, (laughs) maybe she wanted me to overhear it, I don't know. Haven't we been here before, he said. And, And so this conversation went on, and I watched her cycle. First of all, it was... It was more like just asking, then it became begging, then it became frustration, and then anger. She was literally three feet away from me yelling into her phone. Many more people than me could hear this conversation. And then she went back to apologizing. I I listened to the conversation probably for about 12 minutes. I was a little embarrassed. I, I almost thought about just packing up my computer, but there were a bunch of us all around her. She didn't seem to mind. (laughs) I watched her cycle through that about three or four times, that cycle that I just described, from asking to begging to frustration and anger to apologizing. You know what got me thinking? Got me thinking about the unvirtuous cycles that I often go through when I'm under stress. And how sin tempts me to cycle back to things that I know are not really going to help me. Yelling at your uncle when you're trying to get 350 bucks from him is probably not going to help you. But she just couldn't seem to be able to help herself. And it not only got me thinking about my unvirtuous cycles, it got me thinking about all of our unvirtuous cycles. We all have them. When we're under stress and strain, that's an open door for Satan to walk in and recommend sin to us. And often we're all too willing to listen to Satan's voice. And do you know what happens if you cycle back in unvirtuous cycles many, many times over? Eventually they become habits that are hard to break, and you become enslaved to those very unvirtuous, sinful cycles. They become your go-tos. And it could be an addiction, but it could also just be a very, very bad, very, very unhelpful, extremely sinful solution that you've learned to cycle back to. And so God has done something amazing for us in his love. I got to thinking about this as I boarded the flight because I had my my Bible open on the flight getting ready to prepare for this message and I realized that Jesus in his amazing love for us despite our sinfulness and and our all too readiness to go back into those unvirtuous cycles, Jesus said one of the solutions to this is to set up virtuous cycles. Cycles and things and events and people that you go back to when you're under stress, when Satan is recommending sin, when you're all too ready to cave in to an unvirtuous cycle, God says, here, let me give you some virtuous cycles, some empowering cycles that will help you and give you a much 
better way of handling your stress and the strain that's going on in your life and of avoiding sin and offending God. And as Jonathan told us, that ticks God off. It makes him very, very angry, deservedly so. We don't want to do that. And so this morning, we're going to talk about some of those virtuous cycles. And one of them, actually, that we're going to talk about is an Old Testament virtuous cycle. Let's take a look at Luke 22, 7. Jesus is about to be arrested prior to his crucifixion. You know that Jesus is crucified on Good Friday. Jonathan already shared with us that the events of today's message are occurring on Monday, Thursday, which is the Thursday before Good Friday. He's about to be arrested in just a couple hours. He'll be in the custody of the Romans. And so, what does he do? Is there an unvirtuous cycle that he's going to place himself and his disciples into? No, he sees it as a perfect example and a perfect opportunity of a time to go into a virtuous cycle, one that God had set up thousands of years before. Actually, if you want to use a round number, almost 1,500 years before this, 1,475. And it's an event called the Passover. Luke 22, 7 says, Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And I don't know what you know about the Passover. Many of you probably not very much, and that's okay. We love that you're here. But the Passover was celebrated so that the Israelites could remember, the Jews in this case now, they're called, could remember what God had done for them by freeing them miraculously from Pharaoh in Egypt after 400 plus years of slavery in Egypt. And he, and he did this through a series of miracles, the 10 plagues that we, we call them. The final one, just so he could get Pharaoh to budge was that he told Pharaoh, if you don't release my people, I'm going to take all your firstborn sons from you. Maybe that will get you to pay attention. Once again, Pharaoh's heart was hard and he didn't listen. God told the Israelites, here's what I want you to do before I send my angel to take the lives of the firstborn. I want you to take a lamb slaughter it, and I'm, I'm shortening this for the sake of time, there's a lot more detail, but take a lamb, slaughter it, take its blood and paint it on the doorposts of your homes. You'll eat the lamb as the Passover meal with unleavened bread, and the unleavened bread is a, a symbol, a sign to say we're getting rid of all sin as we get ready to be released from our slavery to Egypt. But that blood on the doorpost was important because it told the angel that would take the lives of the firstborn in Egypt to pass over that home and not take the lives of the firstborn inside that home. That's why it's called Passover. And it went down just as God said that it would. The Israelites' firstborn sons were saved and preserved through the blood of the lamb painted on the wooden doorposts of the homes. And ever after that, think about this, virtuous cycle. Every year, God commanded the Israelites, cycle back to this celebration and remember the love that I have for you, the freedom that I've given you. Freedom not just from Pharaoh in Egypt, but through the promise of a Messiah, freedom from your sin, forgiveness, the power 
to lead a new life, the promise of everlasting life. Remember those promises as you celebrate the Passover and remember the blood of the Lamb. Every year, once the Jews settled in and built a temple, they were to cycle back literally to Jerusalem. This happened for 1,475 years to reach the time of Jesus. And Jesus and his disciples have cycled back and Jesus says, before the events that are about to happen, let's put ourselves into this virtuous cycle and celebrate the love and the forgiveness and the mercy and the grace and the freedom that we have because our God is on our side. He loves us. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. The Israelites knew that that Passover lamb was also a promise, a prophecy, really. An example given to show them that one day God would send another lamb, the true lamb, the Messiah, the Savior. The book of Hebrews talks about that. It says, since the children have flesh and blood, I've got this in your notes if you want to read along, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. And then notice what it says. We underline these words. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. See, Jesus came to to free us from another master, Satan, and his tools, sin, death, and as the author to Hebrews says, one of his major tools, fear. Fear enslaves, and Satan wants us to fear and to despair and to think that we're not gonna make it and to have our hearts filled with anxiety. It's one of his major, major tools. Jesus says, The author to Hebrews says, Jesus came to free us from all of that. So here's what I want you to write down in that first blank. The Passover lamb had to be sacrificed for our freedom. Notice notice the closing phrase in Luke 22, 7, the first passage. The Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. It had to be sacrificed for Old Testament reason because God commanded it But as Jonathan told us earlier when he was talking about our confession of sins, we also know that the true Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, had to be sacrificed to satisfy God's holiness and to reconcile us back to him. The Passover lamb had to be sacrificed for our freedom. Jesus knew what had happened in Egypt. He also knew what was about to happen in the next several hours and day. And so they gather. Jesus arranges for an upper room. There's a table in this upper room. Luke 22, 14 to 16 says, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. That's how they did it back in the day. They didn't have chairs the way that we do. Uh, The the custom was more to have a, a dining couch. So they were reclining on those couches with the table in front of them, ready to eat. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Notice a couple of things. I've eagerly desired to cycle back to the message of the Passover and to the celebration of the freedom that we have because of God's love. 
But I also want you to especially notice the words, the three words, before I suffer. Jesus clearly knows what's about to happen, doesn't he? And he goes on to say, for I tell you, I will not eat it, the Passover again, until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. All this 1,475 years of messaging through this drama called the Passover, it's going to find fulfillment one day and you're gonna be truly free in eternal life from all of your sins, guilt, shame. It's gonna be amazing. I will not eat this Passover again until that comes. Those three words before I suffer are important for another reason. They tell us about forgiveness. If you've ever forgiven someone, and I'm guessing most of you have, maybe all of you have, you know a fact that often gets overlooked, a fact about forgiveness. And that is when someone is about to be forgiven, there's still pain on the table. And one of the reasons that we sometimes struggle mightily to forgive another person is that pain on the table. Because we realize once we forgive or free someone or release them from their sin, the one that's going to absorb that pain is gonna be me, the forgiver. I'm the one that's going to have to agree to justice not being carried out. And that is so tough. You ever watch Dateline or 48 Hours, important people taken away, loved ones? And, and you'll notice when, when some really big sin is committed like that, there, there is a passionate desire for justice. And only when justice is meted out do, do you sometimes see a, a weight lifted off of a person's shoulder as if the pain has, has now evaporated because it's been laid on the one who deserves it. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Life for life. But forgiveness? And we all need to understand this. Forgiveness means I accept the pain instead of the one I'm angry with, instead of the one who's hurt me. Do you see what Jesus is saying? The amazing truth of what Jesus is saying with those three words, before I suffer? The pain that you and I have caused God and each other? He's saying, I willingly accept that pain. As the son of God, only I can do this. Only God himself can bear this weight, bear this pain. I, true God, but also true man, so that I can be the lamb of God, so that I can bleed and die. True God and true man, I, Jesus, I willingly raise my hand and say, the pain of all the sins committed against God and against one another, all of our neighbors, I willingly bear that on the cross. Can you imagine what that felt like? You know what it feels like, the pain that you experience at forgiving just one sin. Sometimes it's not even that big of a sin, and you still feel that pain. What about all the sins of all mankind, of all time? We would be crushed like that but not Jesus. Jesus carried it. 
for you, for me, so that we could be forgiven totally, perfectly. To free someone from sin, that is to forgive, requires the forgiver to absorb pain rather than give it. That's going to be so important. Now Jesus wants us to know and to recall the cost of bearing our sins. He also wants us to experience again and again the joy, the great joy of knowing that for sure, with certainty, absolutely guaranteed, your sins have been carried on Jesus' shoulders. He wants you to be reminded that God loves you so much that he stretched out his hands to be nailed to a cross, to bleed and die there, and his blood was painted on crossbars of wood too, but not on a doorpost, on a cross. So that we could be passed over in the punishment, the guilt, and the shame that we deserve to bear. Jesus bore it for us. And so Jesus set up another virtuous cycle. And we're gonna read about that virtuous cycle in Luke twenty-two seventeen to 20 to help us battle sin, temptation, guilt, shame, all of the above, to help us remember his love and his sacrifice. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you, for I tell you that I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. Circle the word broke, just as Jesus was, was, was broken and beaten on the cross. Even though not a single bone was broken, wow, can you imagine the beating he took? He took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I want you to circle the word for. We'll talk about the significance in a moment because there's another four in there. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant, the new agreement in my blood, which is poured out for you. Circle that four as well. Why did Jesus come? Why did he, as the book of Hebrews Share in our humanity. Well, first of all, we need to know he did that because he loves us and he loves to walk alongside of us to understand us, to understand the temptations that we go through, to understand the pain that we endure. Jesus became true man to connect with us fully, to understand our experience, but those two words, four, that I had you circle tell you a much deeper, much more important, critical, vital reason Jesus became man and allowed his body to be sacrificed and his blood to be shed. He did it for you and for me. He stepped up to be the ultimate fighter in our place to fight sin and death and guilt and shame for us, so that as we learned last week, 
Jesus doesn't say to us anymore, hey, I'm in your corner. No, he's the ultimate fighter. And he says to us instead, you come and be in my corner. I want you with me. I'll fight for you. And I'll win the ultimate fight against Satan and sin and death for you. What's communion? Communion is a sacrament that is a, a sacred and holy act that is, that is part of, of three things that we call the means of grace. I'm going to explain what the means of grace are in just a moment. But here at Crosswalk, and you need to know this, we consider the sacrament of Holy Communion to be very, very sacred and holy. Notice what Jesus says here about it. This is my body. When he handed that unleavened bread to the apostles, to the disciples, in this very tiny little group gathered in the upper room, he told them, this is truly and really, mysteriously, yes, supernaturally, of course, but really, this is my body. Can you and I understand it when we receive Holy Communion today that we are receiving Christ's true body and true blood supernaturally? We're receiving bread and we're receiving the fruit of the vine, as it says here, wine. And there's my word again. At the very same time, we are receiving Christ's true body and true blood. This is amazing and important for us all to understand. Because this is what makes Holy Communion very sacred and very powerful. So sacred and so powerful that Paul, when he writes to the Corinthians, says, if you don't understand that what you're receiving is Christ's body and is Christ's blood, you can actually be doing grave damage to your spiritual life, to your heart, to your relationship with Jesus instead of helping it. You need to get what's behind Holy Communion. You need to understand what it is. Now, don't take it from me. And I realize this is a message that's not commonly heard, so you might be a little bit, I might be surprising some of you. But I know that you're all here because you're committed to listening to what the Bible teaches. And so take a look at these words from 1 Corinthians 11, 29 to 31. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, without understanding this is truly Christ's body I'm receiving here, along with, in and with the bread. They eat and drink judgment on themselves. Do you see what it's saying? It's critically important when we come to something like Holy Communion that we get what it is and all that Jesus has done that stands behind it. It is to remind us of what Jesus has done. That's why many among you, this was affecting the Corinthians, Paul says. Because you're not understanding it as Christ's true body and blood, what's happening to you is, many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. So to explain this a little bit further, 
I have, you know how I love object lessons, this. One of my favorite tools is a power cord. I use this tool regularly. And I want you to know that I know that God can meet me wherever he pleases. Wherever he wants. He's God. Read through the Bible. He does it all the time. Talks to Abraham. Walks in the cool of the evening with Adam. Meets Paul on the road to Damascus. God can, on his deciding and on his choosing, because he's God, meet me anytime, anywhere he chooses. You know what word's coming next? And you can't. You cannot meet God anytime, anywhere you choose or please. This is what's sometimes shocking. Because God has prescribed three tools through which you can encounter him and connect with him. Three tools. If we try to do it outside of those three tools, it is like me saying, here's a power cord. It's a great tool. It'll bring power to whatever I want. And you know what's so cool about this power cord? I can plug it into the carpet and it'll power up. I could plug it into one of those chairs and it'll power up. I could plug it into this stage or that speaker and it'll power up because I can power this up anytime, anyhow, any way I choose. And you would say back to me, Pastor Jeff, what would you say? Ain't gonna work. Why not? Because I need to find one of these. I love that they put them in the floor. So convenient. Guess what? If I plug something into here, I should have brought a drill just for the effect. <laughs> it's going to be powered up because it's plugged into the right place. So what are the right places that you can plug into the power of God? On your time, when you choose. God gave you three. Number one, anyone, anyone want to guess? Prayer. Not prayer. The scripture. And the reason I say not prayer is, yes, you can connect and talk to God that way. Not saying that you can't connect with him that way, but how's he going to answer you? How's he going to connect? How's it going to be a true connection where he connects back with you and shares with you what you need to hear? Where he encourages you, helps you, strengthens you. Number one is here. Number two, what goes down there? What goes down there? It's not there today. Baptism. And number three is kind of like this. A place where a number of us can come together all at once and connect to God's forgiveness and power and mercy and grace all together. You know what that's called? Yeah, it's called Holy Communion. Holy Communion. And actually, a better illustration for this would be if I had something to network because in communion, we not only commune with God as the power source, the source of forgiveness and mercy and grace, but we also, God says, you'll see this in just a moment, connect with one another. We get networked not only up to God, 
but to one another. That's what communion does. And that's why it's so powerful and so sacred and why Paul says to the Corinthians, and the Corinthians needed this, trust me. Read 1 Corinthians. These people were falling apart. They were not networked well together. They were angry and frustrated with each other. They were greedy and selfish. They were coming to the fellowship meal that surrounded Holy Communion and the rich people were saying, you poor people stay away. We, we don't feel a big need to love you or care for you. I mean, there was so much going on in the Corinthian congregation. And Paul says, you know what? You don't even understand that Jesus gave up his life if you're acting like that. And if you do, it's just a mystery to me. And furthermore, you're not understanding this is Christ's true body and true blood that you're receiving. And it's going to do damage to you. You're going to eat and drink judgment on yourselves. Flip the page. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is his disciples. Remember, tight little group. Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant. He said, this is my body. He says, this is my blood, which is poured out for many. And underline these words, for the forgiveness of sins. See, the source of power for the Christian, the outlet, so to speak, is the cross and the empty tomb. But the question becomes, how do I reconnect in a virtuous cycle? Remember, we're talking about virtuous cycles. How do I reconnect with what God has done on the cross? How do I reconnect with the power of the resurrection? What's the power cord? What's the... What's the plug-in that can allow me to do that? And the answer is the word, the Bible, baptism and Holy Communion, what we call the means of grace. And when you do that, and Jesus says specifically for communion, when you do that, something powerful happens. You are forgiven of your sins again. You are freed from your sins again. You are shown the love of Christ again and all that he did to die for you and shed his blood for you. And not only are you receiving it, you're proclaiming it. See what it says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six: For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's a powerful, powerful, sacred act in which God himself pours out forgiveness and mercy and grace into your heart. Not just a remembrance, but a true pouring out once again of his forgiveness into your heart. That's why it's so important to understand. So write this down. Jesus gives us communion, his true body and blood in and with bread and wine to convey a legacy of forgiveness and freedom from one generation to another. Notice what it says. Jesus says in Matthew 26, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, you proclaim the Lord's death until, tell me, until he comes. Jesus is setting up a virtuous cycle that is not just a legacy for the next generation, but the generation after that, and the generation after that, and the generation after that. That's why this is the ultimate fighter's legacy to us. It is a virtuous cycle 
with which we can fight guilt, shame, sin, forgiveness, Satan, death. We can get in Jesus' corner through Holy Communion from one generation to another. A few years ago, a poll was taken. And the, the poll was this. What phrase would you most like to hear uttered to you sincerely? I want you to think about that a moment. What phrase, if you could have someone utter this phrase to you sincerely, what, what phrases come to mind that you would just love to hear come from someone you love or respect, come from their mouth. And, and the poll asked this of many, many different people, and three answers emerged at the top. Number one, I love you. Number two, you probably also might expect this one is, I forgive you. And number three is, my favorite of all, Supper's ready. <laughs> I love you. I forgive you. Supper's ready. You get where I'm going with this? Holy communion is that place where your Savior Jesus says to you, I love you. I forgive you. And supper's ready. The three phrases that you most want to hear, that I most want to hear, that this poll showed that we, we all collectively most want to hear, I love you, I forgive you, supper's ready, here it is. In this amazing, sacred, and holy act that Jesus has left us as a legacy for the generations. Amazing. And then he tells us, and you're going to notice a little theme of words that begin with the letter F. We've already heard about forgiveness and freedom. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share the one loaf. He's telling us this is a legacy of connectedness to him and to each other that he wants us to have frequently for all time. He says, I want you to connect to me and connect to one another in communion. And that supernaturally is exactly what happens when we stand in tables up here to receive the Lord's Supper. We connect to God, we participate in his body and blood, and we connect to one another. We who are many become one body, for we all share in the one loaf. In fact, we already are one body, we're just reinforcing that. That's what Paul says, we, we are one body. So write this down, Jesus gives us communion to convey a legacy of fellowship with himself and with one another. And then finally this, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Be ready to fight, in other words. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. You don't maybe know this, but if you look carefully, these are the words that come exactly before Paul launches into his discourse in Corinthians about communion. 
He's basically saying, when you're tempted, you're going to, you're going to be tempted also to go into some unvirtuous cycles to, to relieve the pressure and the tension that you're feeling. Don't forget that God wants to make you not into the ultimate fighter, but also into someone who fights. Stand firm. But also, always, always, always know that you are in the ultimate finder's corner, and he is faithful. His love never ends. There's nothing you can do to make him love you more. There's nothing you're going to do to make you love, to make him love you less. His love is faithful because he is love. Write this down. Jesus gives us communion to convey a legacy of God's faithfulness and strength for our role now as we become fighters. So practically, where to go with this? If you're a guest here today, I want to encourage you to go to hashtag church, as, as Katie said. Learn your next steps. If you've been here for a while and you haven't got into 101 and 201 class where we can teach you what you need to do and what you need to know so that you can commune, sign up for 101, the next one, the next 201 class. That's our way of making sure that communion is a blessing to you that you have the information that you need to come to this very sacred act in which God pours out his forgiveness to you. Sign up for 101 and 201 class. If you're through 101 and 201 class, then my encouragement to you is, Jesus is saying to you, I love you, I forgive you, supper's ready. Why wait? Make Holy Communion a regular, a regular habit, a virtuous cycle in your own life. Come regularly. And if you are coming regularly, then my encouragement to you is come more frequently. Because this is pure gospel. Pure assurance that Jesus loves you. And so in short, I'm saying, get the training. Understand what communion is. Understand what fellowship with this church means. And once you've gotten the training in 101 and 201 class, come and eat the supper that Jesus has prepared for you to tell you, I love you and I forgive you. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, you are an amazing God. And as we just learned, you want us to have a legacy, a powerful and wealthy legacy of forgiveness, freedom, fellowship, faithfulness, and fight. Lord, we know that becoming fully developed followers of Jesus Christ involves us being in your corner, Jesus, not you being in ours. Lord, we love to watch and know that you have fought and won the ultimate fight for us. But Lord, we confess to you that we want to be fighters too. We want to learn to stand firm in you, to be plugged into you through the means of grace, to enjoy the blessings of the gospel every day. Lord, help us to set up the virtuous cycles that we need to have to be in the word daily, to hark back to our baptism daily, to come to communion as often as it's offered so that we can resist the unvirtuous cycles that we're so tempted to sin against you with. 
Lord, forgive us for those times when we have entered into unvirtuous cycles. And by your Spirit's power, because only your Spirit can accomplish this, only your Spirit can accomplish this, by your Spirit's power alone, we ask you, help us to develop habits that are the virtuous cycles that you've left for us as a legacy so that we can know your love and our forgiveness. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to crosswalkphoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Saturday at 6 p.m. and Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now, some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. Don't ever, ever forget this. Jesus is your ultimate fighter, and through the cross and the empty tomb, he's already won that ultimate fight for you against Satan and sin and death. You are forgiven, and you mostly need to know you're free. You're free from sin. So now as you become a warrior, turn that from a slave. Just remember those three little phrases that Jesus wants you to enjoy regularly. I love you. I forgive you. Supper's ready. Let me send you out with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace. Amen.